We are in round three of Fight Club. Are you all ready? All right, I'll get to that in a second. So we've been in a series called Fight Club, and can, can I get some feedback? Has it been informative? Has it been helpful? Have, have you guys seen things that you've been really struggling with and, and how to start overcoming these things? Um, one of my desires through this series and this sermon ser- this, um, these messages is that we will understand how practically um, you know, usable God's word and the principles of Christianity is in real life. And that we don't, we don't just come and play church when we're here. We're coming here to get equipped on how to gain victory in our lives personally, but also how to overcome the challenges that this world, you know, is going to throw at, at, at us as a church, right? And so my hope and desire is that you will become stronger, more frequently overcoming in your own personal life, but also that we as a community will learn how to serve one another with these principles. And so last week, first, first week we spoke just about the battle that we're in and that it's a spiritual battle and that we need to recognize that there are spiritual forces that are real, they are alive, uh, they're not symbols, they are actual beings, um, but that Jesus has given us the victory over them through our faith in Christ Jesus if we will position ourselves correctly and if we will apply the weapons that he gave us to be able to overcome. And then last week we spoke about one of the longest lasting battles each person will have to face. And that's the battle in our minds, right? We said that this battle is not going to stop until you stop. <laughs> because until you one day die and stop thinking with your physical being, that you know, you're still going to have to contend with these ideas and, and that verse in Corinthians that says that we're supposed to take our thoughts captive and bring them in obedience to Christ. What does that, what does that mean? It, it literally means that we have to take thoughts that refer to things that are outside of God's will and we need to submit them under Christ's will for our lives. And we spoke just about how important it is for us to receive Jesus as our Lord, how to submit unto him, how to elevate his word above our word, how to serve a God that the Bible describes, not the God that we want him to be, um, so that we actually get access to a God that is able to save us. We get access to a God that has power um, to, to change things in our lives and to help us to break through in things that we're struggling with. And, and that battle in our mind um, Gets, gets resolved and gets won through, through a process of identifying strongholds and repenting of them, breaking our agreement with them and replacing them with truth. And, and, and this little process is so simple that many of y'all missed it. I had so many people come to me and ask, so how do you do this? I know you said, you know, uh, recognize, repent, and, 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 and renounce, and then replace, but, but like, how do I really overcome this? I'm like, wait, <laughs> I, think, I think we missed each other somewhere. And so even though many of you did catch it, I want to make sure that we understand that the kingdom of God is not complex. It is way simple. The Bible says, um, uh, the one writer writes, I am concerned that just as um, this, the serpent deceived Eve, you have been deceived and you have been you have moved away from the simplicity that is in Christ serving Jesus isn't complex now that doesn't make it easy okay <laughs> it is definitely not necessarily easy but it's not supposed to be rocket science it's actually supposed to be so simple 
that any person can do it by just reading the Bible and making some decisions before God. That is how it's meant to be. It's meant to be simple. But if you understand the realities behind those simple processes, you'll catch how powerful they are to release you from strongholds. And so today I'm going to get into um, just a, I'm going to take this from a different angle, okay? Uh, Talking about the battle in the mind, but how do we fight for a healthy mind? How do I fight for a healthy mind. And there are a couple of things that I'm going to um, just maybe mention of last week, but I'm going to come at it from a different angle to show you practically how we live so that we can conserve the, the, our minds in health and we can b- bring health back to our, our minds. Um, Satan knows this, that one of our greatest assets is our mind. And that is where he primarily comes and attacks us. It's through ideas. It's through uh, concepts. It's through lies that, um, that he ends up con- gaining control in our lives. And if we can recognize those and debunk them and replace them with truth, we get victory in our lives. Okay, so Proverbs 23 verse 7 says this, For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 23, verse 7. How come this is so important? Well, your self-view will determine your actions. The way you view yourself or perceive yourself determines how you live. If you see yourself as a victim, you're always going to act like a victim. You're always going to perceive and interpret life through the lens of being a victim. And what God wants to do is He wants to remove any lens that is not of His. From, our, from before our eyes, so that we can interpret life according to His perspective. And, and, and that, that, that is all here. It all happens through our perspectives, our opinions, you know, the convictions that we hold. And that's why it's so important for us to realize that this is where the enemy will attack us first. And um, the two strategies he used, and this is what we said last week, is he uses deception. He twists truth. And turns things that are half tr- uh, true into half-truths, which make them a full lie, by the way. But if we believe those things and act on them, he gets us to do one of two things. He either gets us to sin, right? Do something that is completely against God's word. Or he gets us to think that we are still to do something that we are actually, in practice, it's not realistic. We'll never be able to do it. He loads you up with an over, um, overwhelming sense of responsibility that you are just, you know, he sets you up to fail. You're bound to fail. But we see, we feel that duty. We feel that responsibility um, because of this deception, because of this lie. I have to do this for somebody. And, 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 and if, you know, it might look something like this. Your parents got divorced and you felt that it was your responsibility to get them back together. You see how he, how he deceives you? He, he, he tells you to do and try to do something that's seemingly good. Is it God's will for your parents to get back together? Yes, it is. Can that responsibility come and sit on your shoulders? No. But he deceives you into thinking it can, and that causes a weight to come on you that ends up destroying you. And guess what happens? The next thing, he condemns you because you're not getting it right. He condemns you because you acted against God's will, right? And you felt the guilt of, of, of disobeying God. Then he comes and says, you're such a bad child of God. You know, you're never going to really uh, be able to serve God. God's never going to be able to use you because you're just so useless. Or he comes and tells you, you know what? 
you're such a bad child of God. You're never going to be able to do what God requires from you. You're never going to be able to live up to his expectations. So you know what? You better just um, give up on this in the first place. And so whatever, decide, whatever you, you feel deceived to do, whether it's to sin or to take an unhealthy responsibility on your shoulders, the devil comes and condemns you for not being able to do that. See that perfect plan. First, he gets you to do something wrong, and then he condemns you for doing it. And he keeps you in that cycle unless you break out, unless you fix the lie that he sold you in the first place. And so I want to show you in scripture um, just that the fight for a healthy mind isn't new. There are so many people in the Bible, our heroes of the faith, that went through challenges similar to what we are going through when it comes to health, you know, mental battles that we face. People like Elijah the prophet, and we'll look at him in a bit of a case study today. The greatest king of Israel, David. He went through intense mental bat battles and bouts of depression. Jonah, Jeremiah, all these prophets, Isaiah, they all despaired greatly for their lives. I mean, the, the prophet Jeremiah wrote a whole book, it's called Lamentations, where he was just moaning, <laughs> essentially, about all the things that goes wrong and how futile everything is in life and, you know, what is the point in anything and everything. But one thing we know of all of these men of God is that at the end of the day, God broke through for them. And that's the message. God wants to break through for you too. No battle you are going through is meant to be permanent. All right? It should not be permanent because Jesus Christ has given us the ability and the, um, uh, the, the opportunity to break three free from these things. But more recently, um, other people like, you know, known, known theologians like Martin Luther, the guy who led the Reformation, the um, Mother Teresa, Charles Spurgeon are all reportedly uh, people who, you know, great men and women of God who, who struggled with mental battles, some even outright depression. But God still used them. God still used them because they were able to continue to walk in the victory that Christ bought on the cross, even though personally they felt that they were not victorious. They managed to, to step out of their own reality into the reality of Christ. And I believe God wants all of us to do that so that we can have healthy minds, even though we might have every now and then struggle. One thing I want to point out here is this. Have you ever gotten the flu? All right, you've, you've gotten the flu and then you got healthy again because apparently you are here, right? So then you, you came through it, you beat the flu, right? And then um, a while later you got it again. How many of you have had the flu more than once in your life? Okay, so, so let me tell you this. When you beat the flu the first time and the second time the flu came back, did you say the flu never left me? Did you say I was never victorious over flu? No, you didn't, right? And so how come when we are fighting mental challenges, mental battles, do we feel that it never leaves us? Do we go, I've never overcome this? You see, what happens actually many times is we overcome a particular situation of mental challenge, sometimes even mental illness, and we go on with life and then maybe around the corner, another instant incident happens. But our perspective have been so conditioned to think that these things are permanent. They never go away that we think we're never victorious. Whereas in actual fact, we might have had weeks, months of victory, 
before we had another battle that we were engaging. You see the perspective here. God wants us to see that there are victories to be won, but that there is also a battle that will continue. But just because the battle continues does not mean that you've never won. You've never gained victory. And so every time you gain a victory, it's something that needs to be celebrated, right? When you get over the flu, what do you do? You go out again in life, <laughs> yeah? You're like, oh, I had such a bad day, you know, such a bad weekend, and, but thank God I'm better now so I can continue with my life. And God wants us to recognize the victories that do come. Okay, so let's go into chapter 18 of 1 Kings right now. I want to talk to you about just the prophet Elijah and some of his life and how this played out before us in his life. So we pick up the story in chapter 18 where he's having an inter, uh, like an interaction with a worshiper that the Bible says was a devout worshiper of the Lord. His name was Obadiah. And so Obadiah is uh, summoned by the king. Uh, he's the manager of, 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 of the king's estate there. And, and, and Obadiah is, is told the king, look, we, by the king, we need to go find feed for our animals. And on the road, he meets Elijah. Now, for those of you who don't know who Elijah is, he is a prophet that was appointed by God to speak to the nation of Israel, the will of God, and give them directions as to what God wants them to do. Um, but many of the kings of that time did not want to listen to um, to Elijah. And so they found him to be controversial. They found him to be stirring trouble, where in fact he was actually just trying to get people to repent and follow God. So um, Ahab has been searching for Elijah because there has been a movement that killed off the prophets of God. And so presumably he'd been looking for Elijah to kill him. And Obadiah, Obadiah finds him and, and Elijah says to him, go back to Ahab and say to him that I, I, I want to visit with him. <laughs> so Obadiah is first like, you don't understand. If I go back, he's just going to kill me. Why? Because I know that when I bring him back here and you're not here, that's, I'm done. But Elijah convinces him, says, look, I, do, I need to present myself to Ahab and you need to go tell him this. And so in the interaction, we see a couple of pieces of information that becomes relevant. Obadiah says to, to, um, to Elijah, look, um, Elijah, what I've been doing is I've actually been hiding prophets. I've been providing for them and keeping them alive while this killing spree has gone on, but it's been done in secret. So, you know, if, if I'm found out or, or if anything goes wrong, you know what, I'm going to lose my life. Um, and, and, and Elijah basically says to him, look, um, just go do what I told you to do. So Obadiah does go, and then a whole interaction happens. Where Do you remember the story where Elijah faces off with the Baal prophets? Okay, but right before that, um, I want to read the verse that says in chapter 18, it says, Haven't you heard what I did when Jezebel killed the Lord's prophets? Haven't you heard how I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets in caves? I hid 50 in each cave, two caves, and I provided them bread and water. So outright Obadiah tells Elijah, look, there are other prophets of the Lord that are alive and that, that are okay. A couple of verses later, Elijah is facing off with these prophets of Baal. And for those of you who don't know the story, um, he is challenging the God of the culture in that time. The Israels ha Israelis have completely become apostate from God and they've started to serve this, uh, this, this God called Baal. And his prophets and everything, has, he has prophets and everything. And so God, Elijah says, I'll challenge you to a sacrifice, to a to, to a, to a duel. Like, let's see whose God is the real God. 
And so they make a sacrifice of altar and it's a spectacular story of how um, the prophets of Baal are crying day and night for their God to come out and consume the sacrifice, to burn up the sacrifice. And then um, they cut themselves and they do rituals and every odd thing that they can imagine to, you know, to make their God move on this sacrifice. And so Elijah starts mocking them. He's like, you know, I think Baal is sleeping, really. You know, does somebody want to wake him up? Um, and then it comes to his turn to show that oh, we are serving the real and living God. And he tells them, look, pour water over that sacrifice. You know, more water, more water, more water. And, and at the end of the day, that thing is so drenched. But Bible says, when Elijah prayed, the Lord answered. And fire came down from heaven, consumed the meat on the altar, consumed the wood on the altar, consumed the stones off the altar, and left everything just in ashes. Spectacular miracle. Elijah goes ahead, captures all those Baal prophets, and he literally cuts them to pieces with a sword. All right, he, that's, that's their punishment. So um, this miracle is happening, but, but Elijah, before this miracle, bought into a lie. He bought into a lie, and no matter how um, you know, untrue that lie was, he seemed to have struggled to let go of it. Because right before he presents himself to the Baal prophets, he says this. So Elijah told the people, I am the only surviving prophet of the Lord. I am the only surviving prophet of the Lord, but there are 450 prophets of Baal. Now, after all this happens, Elijah gets into a big moment of despair, because, and I'll talk about that in a second, but in his despair, we see him twice say the same thing. In chapter um, 19, verse 10, he, said, he says again, He talked to God, answered the Lord of armies, I have eagerly served you. The Israelites have all abandoned you, all abandoned your promises. They've torn down your altars and executed your prophets. I am the only one left. Wait a minute. Didn't Obadiah just tell him that you're not alone? That he wasn't the only one? A second time, the God comes to him and he says this to the Lord again. I am the only one left and now they're trying to take my life. Now, there are so many things in this statement that I can point out. Elijah's pride. Um, I can point out that, you know, he, he refuses to believe the truth. He chooses to believe this lie, even though many times truth seems to be presented to him. But here's one thing that I want us to focus on, a couple of things I want us to focus on from this account. God wants you to know that when you're facing mental battles, that really you are not alone. And this is so important because we buy into this lie so quickly if we're going through challenges that it's almost the number one killer that causes us to isolate ourselves and try to fight this thing alone, try to figure it out, try to fix it ourselves. How many times have I heard guys say to me after they have been destroyed by porn or by cheating or by many other things, uh, you know, greed or pride? Like, I thought I could fix it myself. I thought I could fix it myself. They believed the lie that they should do it alone. Um, in, in verse 18, God says to Elijah, and he finally breaks through to him and says to him, Look, I still have 7,000 people in Israel who haven't bowed their knee to, to Baal. God is telling him, look, you've been believing that you're the only Israelite that have stayed alive and have not abandoned God. But you've been so far off. I have 7,000 people that are still serving me that haven't bowed their knee to Baal. That's crazy. It's crazy how so often we would... We would 
face mental challenges, but things like pride and things like, you know, um, uh, buying into the, the, the responsibility that, you know, I have to do this on my own makes us disregard the truth that, look, there are others that are there to help. There are others that want to walk with you to help you through that mental battle, help you gain victory over what it is that you are facing. Sometimes it's shame. I should not have, you know, these feelings. I should not feel this way. I'm a, and then the devil comes and he condemns you. Why well, aren't you a son of God? Aren't you a daughter of God? You should not feel this way. This ought not be if you are a Christian. Let me tell you, that condemnation does not come from God. It does not come from God. And whenever you hear it, you need to hear who it's coming from. The first thing is you're not alone. But the second thing is, is you've got to let others in. You see, Obadiah tried to tell, um, to tell Elijah, look, there are others. But he just didn't want to receive it. And so often with mental battles, we don't want to receive people around us to figure things out. We want to do it on our own. But you can be surrounded by people and be all alone. It's like how many, how many things have you, have you right now where you sit? You might like, I've never really spoken to somebody about this challenge in my life. Well, let me say this to you, that our desire in this church is, is that you will not experience this a place where you come and attend and go away and, and, and not having dealt with things that you're facing, not having, having gained victory over the battles that you, that you find yourself in. You see, when Elijah eventually responds to God's uh, assignment and God's advice, he quickly adds a couple of people around him. Verse 16 and verse 17 says, He anointed Elisha, son of Shaphat, from this town as a prophet to take his place. So immediately he partnered up with somebody in his ministry. And then he made other people responsible for other things that he should not have taken care of. Think about this. He thought of himself as the only person who can lead people in the kingdom of God. What responsibility and weight did he take up on himself? And immediately see him in this chapter, verse 17, um, that he has appointed kings over people and the Lord is encouraging him. Look, if somebody escapes from this king Hazel's sword, the other king Jehu will kill him. And if anybody escapes from Jehu's sword, Elisha, your ministry partner, will kill him, will kill them. God wants you to partner up with people to share that responsibility that you feel because you cannot do it on your own. The third thing you want us to notice today from this account is that you need to realize that if you're facing mental challenges, that there is deception and there is condemnation in your life. And the way to deal with it is not to ignore it, but to actually challenge it and face it head on. So let me read from chapter 19, the beginning just after the prophets of Baal were slaughtered and he had this massive victory. How many of you know sometimes our biggest challenges comes right after a victory? Sometimes our most horrid defeats comes after we've been, we've been strong for a while, you know? Um, and then we just find ourselves, oh, just giving in for stupid things. And you like want to kick yourself for, for, uh, um, for allowing that. But, you know, it's, it's, it's often how it works. And this is the case for, for, for Elijah. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. She said, may the gods strike me dead if by this time tomorrow I don't take your life the way you took the lives of the Baal prophets. 
So there comes this challenge, this threat to Elijah. And guess what Elijah does? He just eats it up. Hook, line, and sinker. And he's caught in that line. Frightened, verse 3 says, Elijah fled for his life. He came to Beersheba in Judah and left his servant there. And then he traveled through the wilderness for a day. And he went and sat down under a broom plant and he wanted to die. He said, I've had enough now, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. What's happening over here? Elijah has this massive victory. I mean, how many of you would think that that was a massive victory? Squaring off against those prophets and just seeing this spectacular miracle and then literally eliminating them before the Lord. And then the next day you run away because a girl got mad at you. That, that is an incredible defeat followed after an incredible victory. But you know what happens is he bought a lie. He bought the lie that she would be able to do it. Now think of this. He, he just saw fire rain down from heaven and consume his enemies. Who, by the way, they wanted to kill him. Okay? It wasn't a debate as to okay, who was right. It was basically a decision as to who was going to die. It was either going to be him or the Baal prophets. So he knew what he was getting into. So 450 Baal prophets and rulers and kings around him stands and watch, threatening to kill him, and he's okay. One girl comes and threatens to kill him, and he's done. But see what happens here. First, he believes the lie that she would be able to do this, which makes him flee. Elijah flees which means he leaves his calling. He leaves his assignment. He drops what God told him to do. How many of you have gotten intimidated by life and thought the first thing I need to do is I need to stop serving in church. First thing I need to do is I need to get away from my responsibilities. It's because you bought a lie somewhere. The second thing that happens is he's his, his identity gets canceled. First, his calling gets canceled. The second, his identity gets canceled. He says, you know what? I'm no better. I'm no better than any other of my ancestors. He starts, he starts looking at himself and comparing himself with other Christians around him. And he goes like, oh man, I'm just useless. Look at that guy. He's so strong. Look at this person. They're so spiritual. Look at that guy. They're such a strong leader. You know, I can never do any of that. I'm just, I'm useless. And you know what? I'm just... I have absolutely no worth. And then your self-worth gets canceled and you want to just check out. You want to check out from serving Jesus. You want to check out from being in church. Sometimes you want to check out from life itself. See, there's always a progression that follows after we believe a lie. And the way to get back to what, where we were before it's not necessarily to just try and focus on where we're at. It's to recognize what caused us to come down this path of destruction, of personal destruction. So we need, to, we need to really face these lies because it's these lies that we believe that cause us to get so downcast that we despair of life itself. Now, some of them will take faith and patience to overcome. I, I don't doubt that. And some of them might need a multi-disciplinary you know, uh, approach. Some of them might need medication. Some of them might need fasting. Some of them might need prayer. 
Some of them might need all of the above. But the beauty of it is that once we've identified the lie, we're on our way to recovery. It doesn't matter how long it takes. We have to refuse to believe another lie that says this is a permanent thing. Unless there is a clinical diagnosis that tells you that this is something that's wrong with your biology, we cannot expect to believe that this thing is, we cannot dare believe that this thing that we're facing is a permanent battle. We have to assume that God can cure, sorry, wrong word. We have to assume that God can help us overcome. But at the same time, even when you do get a diagnosis of something, don't we serve a God who can rain fire down from heaven? who can make the dead come alive. And so even in the midst of bad news like that, we should have the hope, like Ryan said, that my God can still help me to overcome this. And at the very least, He can help me to successfully manage this and still glorify Him and still have a worthy life that has significant impact for His kingdom's sake. Sometimes we think the only solution is to just check out. Let me say this to you. Suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. You don't have to die to get rid of your pain. If you're not dead, he's not done. I love that song. If I'm not dead, he's not done with me. And he still has victory, a promise of rest and a promise of overcoming that is available to you if you will follow his pathway, if you'll follow his process, his simple way of starting to deal with the lies in your life. The fourth thing is he will never forsake you. Look at how he pursues Elijah. Remember, Elijah has now said, Lord, just kill me. Just kill me. And you know what's crazy? He's afraid to die. But then he asked God to kill him. <laughs> See, we, we become high emotions, low clarity. But in verse 5, it continues to say, he laid down and he slept. Because sometimes that's just all, the, all that you can do. And God doesn't condemn him for resting. In fact, the Bible says God sends an angel. And the angel touches him and said to him, hey, get up, eat. God will meet you in your despair, but his approach will be to minister health to you, minister life to you. He wants to bring you his bread, which is his word. He wants to bring you his spirit, which is the water. He wants to refresh you, revive you. And, 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 and look at what it says. He saw the bread, he saw the, uh, the water, he ate, he drank, and he went back to sleep again. Don't feel condemned if after one message like this, you know, you f don't feel a victory. Don't feel like you did it wrong when after you've repented once and renounced agreement, you, um, you make a mistake or you fall back into the same emotion. Don't feel bad about that. There is a process that's now at, at play. There is, there is a progression that has now been kick-started, but it takes time sometime. So rest again. That's okay. Look at what he does. The angel came back. When you take the word of God, you get the nourishment of God, you believe the truth of God, yet you still go home and you feel like, man, I'm still in defeat. I don't feel bad. I still want to just continue to do what I am right now. I can't do anything more. Guess what? God's not going to reject you. He's not. He's going to come back and he's going to give you more nourishment because what you need is not less nourishment. You need more nourishment. You need more affirmation. You need more strength. 
And that's what he's there to provide for us because he will never forsake you. But he will also not cut you out of his plan. No matter how hard your battle is, no matter how many times you've, you've, um, you've failed, he won't cut you off. The angel came back and woke him again and said to him, get up, eat, or else your journey will be too much for you. Now, this next part is classic. <laughs> I, I didn't put it up on there, but I'm going to explain it to you. So what happens? He gets up, he eats, and then he finds strength to do something. How many of you have been in that place where you finally found strength after like a weary time of, you know, just contending with things? And what's the first thing he does? No, it's not praise Jesus, you know, build an altar and worship the Lord <laughs> or say to God, here, Lord, I am ready for duty. No, what does he do? He runs away even further <laughs> from God and from God's purposes. And the Bible says he walks for 40 days and 40 nights. He got some nourishment, all right? He got some strength. How many of you have, have gotten to a place where you're like, oh, thank Jesus. I feel so good. I feel so, I've got so much victory. And then you go off and you spend all that on yourself. You just go off and do whatever you like to do. Elijah does the same. Think about this. This guy who just called fire from heaven and literally with a sword killed 450 prophets single-handedly. Um, and then now he's running away from the Lord with the strength that who provided him? God. <laughs> All right. So the irony is thick over here. So, but see how long it takes for Elijah to heed the truth. And I want to say this because it's important, because I understand that some of you are hearing this and you're going, oh, you know what, whatever. <laughs> I just don't see how this information that you're giving me is going to change anything materially for me. I understand that. If great men like Elijah can struggle to open themselves up to the possibility that there is hope, to the possibility that there might be life, that there might be a victory, a solution, then surely we will have the same struggle. Surely we will, will fail to believe the great news that is being presented to us. But that doesn't mean that I should stop giving it to you, right? That means that I should give more nourishment and more encouragement and more proof from Scripture that this is the truth for you. So listen what happens. First, the man tries to tell him, you're not alone. You're not the only one who have, abandoned, who have not abandoned the Lord. Then God tries to direct him, but he runs until he has a breakdown, right? And he wants to die. Then God ministers to him in his despair and anguish. And he uses the strength he got from God to run away even further. Guess what happens? God meets him there. Again, I'm telling you this. God's not going to give up on you. <laughs> No matter how far you run from God, how deep in despair you sink, God is not going to give up on you. He is going to reach out through people, through messages, through signs. He's going to be on your case because guess what? He loves you too much to give up on you. And even though you don't see worth for you anymore, He sees plenty. That's the good news I want to just shower on you today. There is so much that God still wants to do in and through you that he will not let go of pursuing you. God invites him, he ministers to him, he meets him there, and he's trying to help him assess what he's doing. So God is trying to help him assess. He's trying to get him to see that, Elijah, you're, you've become, you've now 
steps over a boundary of being deceived and harassed by the devil to now becoming self-inflicting. This is a difficult one to receive. But so often we find comfort in our struggle and we start partnering with it, like I said before. And that's when you start self-inflicting damage on you. God says to Elijah, Elijah, what are you doing here? And guess what Elijah tells him? 19 verse 10. Elijah just gives him the old spiel. I have served you, but the Israelites have abandoned you and your promises. And they've torn your altars. They've executed your prophets. And I am the only one left. Sincerely, he believes that because he's holding on to that for some reason. God says to him, look, I need to meet with you. Go to, and he's currently, and he's hiding in a cave. And so God says to him, go to the mouth of the cave. And so God has all these, these things happen, like, a, like a, a violent wind and an earthquake, an earthquake. And every time the Bible says, hey, God was not in those things. And then the Bible says, and then there was a, a soft whisper. And God was in the whisper. And when Elijah heard the whisper of God, the Bible says he took his cloak, covered his head, and he walked to the mouth of the cave. And there God met him. If there's anything that I would, I'm praying, and we've been praying for this series, is that you would hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit saying to you, come out and meet with me. Let's talk this out. Come out and meet with me. Understand what you're going through, but we didn't have a truth talk. And so Elijah goes out. He responds to that invitation from God. And I'm praying that you will respond to God's invitations to talk about what you're going through. And then God says to him again, Elijah, what are you doing? What are you doing? Finally, Elijah is willing to listen. And God says to him, you're not alone. There are others that can help you, that can walk with you, that can help you win the battle that's in front of you. Now go and respond to the direction, to the process, to the next steps that I'm giving you that you need to do to overcome in your battle. And for the first time, God breaks through to Elijah. My prayer is that God will break through to each one of us. That he will show us that this victory can be, bought, can be won. And he, um, he, he connects with Elisha. He connects with those kings to help lead the nation again and to uh, fulfill the word of the Lord. And he recommits to his calling. Let me tell you, this is so important. God wants to reconnect you with your calling. Now in chapter 20, we see Elijah back to his old spectacular self. And the encouragement I draw from that is that as deep in a pit that he was, sunken in despair, literally wanting to die, all of a sudden you see Elijah ministering again powerfully, reconnected with his identity, reconnected with his calling, and reconnected with God's people. It leads me to this point. Five, don't fight alone. Don't fight alone. You see, if you fight alone... The enemy can tell you, look, it's not, it's not going to work. It's not going to work, this whole recognizing the lie and repenting of it. It's not going to work. You need something more spectacular than that. And you know what? 
it's not to be found where you are at. So you got to just keep searching because you're not going to get it there. But if you fight with others and others come into agreement with you on the things that you're battling with, all of a sudden there's unity. And the Bible says if, a, if one can put a thousand to flight, two unified can put 10,000 to flight. There's an exponential power on agreement among brethren. But what happens to us when we're, when we're depressed and, and, and we're feeling and, like you know, we're struggling with our, with our mental battles, doubt and anxiety and fear and uh, guilt and shame and depressedness, uh, what happens is we start viewing life through that filter. What happened to David when, it, when, when he did that? Psalm 88, 18, he says this, all my loved ones, all my f- and my friends, they keep far from me. Have you ever felt that people are avoiding me now? Leaving me all alone with only my darkness as my friend. It's so real, guys. It's so like relevant. It's so like today. <laughs> you feel people avoid you. You feel people don't want to talk to you. You feel like, man, I just can't... I- I don't know if this is even worth trying. And I want to let you know that if you will choose to not fight alone, there can become agreement on your challenges that will lead to victory, that will lead you to engage that process to get out of the hole that you find yourself in. See, sometimes we need people to help us recognize those lies. I laughed. <laughs> uh, Members from our church, um, say, she said the other day that uh, they were driving home after, after, after last week, and uh, she was just um, talking, 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 and all of a sudden she, uh, she said that, you know what, I, like, I mean, I'm, just, I'm just so completely irritated and angry at that situation. And, and she says her husband looked over and said to her, stronghold. <laughs> and, and, and I don't know the context all that well to know if that really is a stronghold in her life, but all I know is that sometimes it helps if somebody else asks you, hey, isn't this a stronghold in your life? Hasn't this had enough influence over you? Don't you want to talk about this? Don't you want to investigate where this comes from? Where this belief of yours comes from? Because if we can, and you and I can pray together over it, and you can break your agreement with it, a process of recovery will be initiated where you can replace those lies with God's truth. And when the truth of God comes into our hearts, it starts setting us free. So my question is, how can we help each other? One thing we can ask one another, instead of saying, hey, how are you doing? So we can ask each other, hey, what's weighing on your mind lately? What's weighing on your mind lately? And that might not lead to a lie, but it might definitely lead to a better conversation about where a person really is at. And let me tell you, this is a church where we can be honest with each other. This is a church where we don't have to pretend to be stronger than what we are. This is a church where we don't have to, you know, act like victims either. We can be free and we can enjoy the freedom and the prosperity that God is blessing us with. But all of that is living in truth. It's not living with lies um, uh, controlling us. Galatians 6 says this, and this is what I wish for us as the church here. Brothers and sisters, if a person gets trapped by wrongdoing, and by wrongdoing, I'm not here referring to sin. I'm just referring to believing 
something that is not of God in the first place. Those of you who are spiritual, and all it means here is not spiritual in terms of, okay, you're spiritual, I'm not spiritual, but those of you who have gained victory, those of you who are mature, should help that person turn away from that. And then he says this, do it in a gentle way, but at the same time watch that you yourself are not also tempted. Help carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will follow Christ's teachings. Jesus has placed us together for a reason. He has placed you in this family for a reason. And one of the reasons is because he wants you to become real with us here. And look, this isn't supposed, it's not trying to get everybody to be emotional. No, it's not about emotions. It's about recognizing where lies are affecting us negatively. And getting that stuff out of us so that we can experience more strength, more freedom, more release, more rest from our anxiety, from our striving. But this is where we need to start helping other people around us to break agreement with the lies that are in their lives. And if I come in agreement with you about a lie that you're breaking agreement with, there's so much more power in that. So much more power in that. But the process remains very, very simple. You have to recognize lies. And you have to repent, renounce agreement with those things, and then replace them with truth. The last point here is, it's agreement with truth that sets us free. It's not understanding it. Like if, you, if, you, if somebody tells you something and you go like, yes, that makes sense. No, it's when you actually put your weight of trust on that to work for you. When you put your agreement on it, that's when it starts working for you. So many of us know the Bible back to back, but it's not having the effect in our life that it's meant to have. Why is that? It's because we have not fully agreed with it. We're still in agreement with a whole bunch of other options, with a whole bunch of other things in our lives. Let me tell you, sometimes before you agree that you are not supposed to be unwell, let me say that again because that was confusing. Before you agree that you should be healed, how are you going to trust God for healing? The Bible says that's double, double-minded. Let not such a man believe, you know, uh, expect to receive anything from the Lord. So we have to come to conviction. How many of you know it's people with conviction that change the world? It's not even people who's got the right side of the story that changes the world necessarily. It's just people who have refused to believe any other thing other than what they believe. And that becomes a force, an influence. And so we need conviction about the truth because the Bible says that it will set us free. Know the truth, the truth will set you free. Don't understand it, you need to have conviction about it for you. And you need to forego on every other option out there. Philippians 4.8 says this, Now, dear brothers and sisters, um, Fix your thoughts on what is true, what is honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and praiseworthy. We have to replace the lies with the truth of God. If we don't, they will be filled, the void will be filled with more lies. We'll be filled with another lie, a different lie. And that's why this process is so important. And why I want to reiterate it today, that this is the simplicity of the gospel. It's it's the truth that sets us free. It's not our effort. 
And so many times we feel like, man, I, I need to do something. I need to do more. And then we go like, but I just don't have the energy to do anything more. I just don't, I need to go and serve more. I need to go and pray more. But you know what? I just want to sleep when I pray. The answer does not lie in our effort. The answer actually lies in resting on God. Sometimes the best thing you can do is just sleep, eat, rest, and then above all else, get truth. Get truth. And that's why it's some, it's sometimes it's so difficult because we can, we can lie to ourselves more than we can lie to anybody. I mean, I'm not talking to real people here. I'll do that to me. I'll lie to me. And I have to catch myself. That's what the Bible says. Bring those thoughts to captivity and submit them to the truth. Bring them to obedience in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? Simply replace that lie with what's true about you according to Scripture, not according to your own opinion. You see, it's a lot like training your body. You know, if you stop using a muscle, it degenerates, right? We have to train our minds to choose to believe and trust what is right and reject what is not right. So right now in our, in our country, there are so many you know, lies and things going about. They are based in the reality, but they are not necessarily true. Because they leave out the God factor. They leave out the fact that God has a plan for this nation. They leave out the fact that God has a plan for this church. And so until you've filtered whatever viewpoint you receive from politics and government and all that, you know, and the state of our nation through the reality that God has a plan and God is sovereign and God is powerful and God is, uh, um, you know, He sets things in motion that cannot be stopped, you have not gotten to truth yet. But we so quickly swallow up those lies and they, they cause us to be stressed and they cause us to be, you know, uh, uh, depressed and like you have no hope. But if we recognize them and we reject them and say, no ways, God has a different plan for our nation. God has a different plan for my family. Then it, it revives us, but it, it, it requires that training. You see, in Eastern meditation, they tell you it's all about emptying your mind. You know, you sit in a funny position and you say, um... Um, what am I going to do next? I don't know. But once you fill your mind with the word of God and you practice Christian meditation, if you want to use that word, you don't have to use that word. The Bible says, just fix your mind. The Bible says, ponder upon. The Bible says, and the word that Lysigeret uses, it's, it's like, like chewing a cud, like a, uh, um, a cow would chew, you know, some, some grass and it forms that little, the little ball. He swallows it. What does he do with it? Brings it back up, right? He chooses it some more, chooses it some more. That's what the Bible says when it, talks about the, when it talks about how we are to consume Scripture. You need to chew on it, chew on it, chew on it. Apply it in your life. Let it nourish you. Then bring it back and chew on it some more and see if there's more that can be gained from that in terms of nourishment for your soul and for your spirit. But unless we do that, we're not doing the work that we need to be doing. Look at me. Your work is not trying to please God. You've pleased God in Christ Jesus. But your work is to work the word of God into your mind. That's your work. Our work is in the word. And the more we work in the word, the more victory and the more we'll see the reality of the promises of God come to life in our lives. So I want to end with this. 
the enemy likes to use words like never, always, and only. You know, you're, you're never going to win this. You're never going to get through this. You're never going to, you know, be financially stable. You're never going to overcome this, this frustration, this heartache. You're never going to get over this breakup. You're, you know, you're always going to struggle financially. You're always going to struggle in that relationship. You're always going to, you know, come last. You're always going to have failure in that, in that part of your life. Or, look, only you can do this. You should not talk to anybody about this because only you can fix this. Only you will understand. Have you heard those lies? It's time, it's time we, we recognize them and, and debunk them. You know, Jesus has his own set of alwayses and, 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 and nevers and onlys. Let's, let's listen to a couple of them. Lamentations 3 verse 21. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. If you feel downcast, if you feel like there's no hope for you, I want to let you know that the son of righteousness can arise over your life and he can help you break through from what you're struggling with. John 6, 35 says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never thirst again. Deuteronomy 31, 6, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of what you're facing for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Matthew 28, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Psalm 10 verse 5. His ways are always prosperous. His ways are always prosperous. Our way of trying to figure things out only leads to more despair. His ways are always prosperous. 46 verse 1. God is our refuge and our strength. Always ready to help in times of trouble. Luke 8 verse 50, Jesus said to them, do not fear, only believe, only believe, trust in Jesus' words. Can we stand together? I want to ask some questions here today. Has the enemy loaded you with a responsibility that God himself hasn't? It's time to give that to God and allow Him to tell you what you should carry. The Bible says His yoke is soft and His burden is light. Perhaps you've believed that you can't forgive someone and now you are still consumed by anger and bitterness. It's time to believe that God will let justice prevail, but you must forgive that person and release them from their debt to you. Perhaps you have anger towards God because you believe a lie that He acted unjustly. It's time to break your agreement with that lie and accept the truth about God's character so that He can help you deal with the brokenness in this world that have caused you to feel that anger and overcome what happened. Perhaps you're unable to forgive yourself because you believe that if you do, you might not perform hard enough to make up for what you did wrong. It's time to recognize that as a lie from the devil, keeping you in bondage from loving yourself and allowing God, allowing yourself to grow within the grace of God. This is how we recognize lies. It's as simple as that. And let me tell you, we might have probably hundreds of little lies like that that have exercised control over our lives. And they come out in little sayings 
oh, you know what? That's just my luck. That's a lie. That's a belief system this culture has developed to think that, you know what? Murphy's Law is always going to end up negative for me. Break your agreement with those lies, but they can be as serious as I'm not worthy because I was abused as a child. My parents didn't pay attention to me. And so I grew up to just not being able to feel love. I can't see God as a loving father because I never had a father that expressed love to me. So God must not be loving. No. That's a lie you believe because of what you were exposed to. Let's pray together. And again, the simplicity of the gospel is this. That if you bring these lies before the Lord and you break agreement with them in His presence, they lose influence over you. Slowly but surely, but they lose grip on you. Let's pray. Father, I don't know all the lies that we find ourselves facing right now, but I pray, Lord, as we've spent the last two Sundays just honing in on this, that this will become our pattern that the minute we see something negative as a pattern in our lives, that we will ask you to reveal to us what did we believe? What lie did we believe that is keeping us in this state of defeat? And so right now, if you can recognize a lie that you have believed, maybe one of unforgiveness or not able to forgive yourself or you think God has done you wrong, Or maybe you've just felt that you needed to do something that was impossible for you to do in the first place. And why would God even expect that of me? God never did. That's just the thing. Father, we just come now in Jesus' name. We break our agreement with these lies. They will no longer have effect on our people. They will no longer have influence over our emotions and our well-being. We cast them down in the name of Jesus. And I ask you, Father, that each and every person here will receive your truth in that very matter where the devil said always, never, and only, that they will receive your always, your never, and your only, and that that will break them free permanently from the effect that this had over them. Father, I pray that people will be willing to admit if they can't, fight, if they can't beat that lie themselves and that they will come and just speak to people speak to our leaders so that we might pray and agree with them and see these victories over our people and see them set free and see them receiving again the joy of their salvation and the freedom and the rest that comes from living under your grace. Lord, that's what we're contending for in this community is for people to find life in you, Lord God, not dead religion, but life, Lord Jesus. Have your way in our midst, Father. We pray that in your name. Amen and amen.